WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 179. It is time. The season is upon us. We are recording here from the North Shore, where there has been plenty of swell. The Lexus WSL Awards saw the world's best surfers come together for a night of celebration over the weekend, and there is an undeniable crackle of excitement in the air. Before we get to today's conversation, here are three surfing news items for you to keep in mind this week as you sit in your own lineups. The first, we talked about this last week, about the generational shift happening at the elite level of competition. We've been so fortunate to witness world-class surfers at this level, not just for a few years, but in many, many cases for well over a decade. And taking my WSL hat off and putting my surf fan hat on, personally, I'm very, very grateful for that. Last week, we covered five-time world champion Carissa Moore announcing that she's stepping away from full-time CT competition to focus on family and other projects. We'll get to see her here at the upcoming Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti, as well as later in the season at the Shiseido Tahiti Pro, having already accepted the WSL wildcard for that event. But again, a huge thank you to Carissa for inspiring us for so long. This week, eight-time world champion Stephanie Gilmore announced that she's taking the 2024 CT season off to allow her body to recover from over 15 years of world-class competition, but she will return in 2025 to battle the world's best, having already accepted the CT season wildcard for 2025. Change is in the air, and with that comes a lot of excitement. Secondly, the Lexus WSL Awards, Surfing's Night of Champions, 
went down this weekend at the Turtle Bay Resort on the North Shore of Oahu. In addition to celebrating the performances of the world's best surfers from 2023, we also honored the out-of-the-water community work that Carissa Moore, Kanoa Igarashi, and Pua DeSoto led with the WSL Impact Award. Congrats to all of them, and thank you for continuing to inspire us both inside and outside of the water. Finally, the world's best surfers are here. They're on the ground in Hawaii for the start of the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season with CT1, the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti. The event will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 179. Today's guest is someone who is embarking on his rookie season amongst the world's best on the Elite Championship Tour. A member of the resurgent San Clemente surf community that includes a transplanted Caroline Marks, Sawyer Lindblad, Griffin Colapinto, Crosby Colapinto, and Cade Madsen, he went back-to-back -back on the 2023 Challenger Series with wins at Narrabeen and Bolito, propelling him to finishing first on the CS heading into his rookie season. At six foot three, 200 pounds, he represents one of the larger physical specimens on tour and fittingly, former world number two and power surfing icon, Luke Egan is now in his corner as coach. I really cannot wait to see what he does on tour this year. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with San Clemente's Cole Hauschmund. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut you lips. And now I just say, put him up once. Let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. All right, the lineup is back. By the time this is dropping, the window for the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti will have opened and the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season will have commenced. Our guest today is, is someone I'm really excited to talk to. He's had a huge 2023 with back-to-back -back wins at the GWM Sydney Surf Pro and the Bolito Pro. He was the number one ranked surfer on the Challenger Series, finishing out 2023. He is a rookie for the 2024 Elite Championship Tour. He is a vaunted member of the San Clemente 2% crew, and I'm really excited to talk to him. He's another goofy footer. We can't have enough of them on tour. Um, San Clemente's very own Cole Hauschmann. Cole, thank you so much for coming on the podcast thanks for having me dave yeah it's um i feel like a long time coming but stoked to make it on and uh chat with you it is a long time coming man but uh i'm stoked we're both here in hawaii we're not actually in the same room but that's okay um you've been here for a little bit right and and, and there's been plenty of waves so what's been uh, your experience so far um on oahu yeah i came uh i came at the end of last year like november december for almost a month and just kind of came early, tested some boards, uh, hung out, and then got back here about a week ago and just been surfing, testing some more boards. Uh, my coach Luke is now here. So, yeah, it's been fun just kind of um, getting back in the swing of things and preparing for the comp. I'm uh, staying here at Eli Hammond, so it's been fun. 
Totally. And, and I mean, something I'm always interested in and probably something that you had quite a lot of experience um, even before you qualified is just starting the season at the Bonsai Pipeline in kind of the prime part of the year for waves. Um, forecast looks like there's going to be plenty of swell for the event. It is probably the most intense lineup on the planet even just to get waves, right? And to practice. So yeah. what what is your approach coming into a season knowing, got to start at pipe. Do you go, every session I have has got to be out there, rain, sleet, shine, whatever it is, I've got to get my waves. Or are you more a, I know what to do when I'm out there. I know it's going to be a different environment in the heat with just one other person or two other people. My preparation is more mental and making sure I'm getting my reps on waves, even if they're not at pipe. What, what, what kind of camp do you fall into? Um, yeah, I'd say I'm more of a just kind of like, I don't want to push myself too much out there and uh, get hurt or something. And um, I know my capabilities and yeah, my approach is more just reps in the water and kind of like almost like not taking it easy, but kind of just easing my way into it and not forcing anything. Um, I spent a lot of time out at pipe. I've been coming here since I was probably like eight, nine years old. Um, so I don't feel too rushed to like be out there every session, getting every wave. It's more just like being in the water, seeing what waves I want and kind of like knowing that when I'm in the Jersey out there, I'll know like where to sit, what waves to look for. And um, I feel pretty confident that I'll go when it's big. So, I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing is knowing your lineups and then just going for it. So we've seen over the last few years and, you know, this is my 19th year at the <laughs> ASPWSL and we used to finish, you know, our championship tour season, same window every year, December 8th through 20th at pipeline. And some years were really exciting. A lot of years, because that is generally kind of earlier in the season, we were challenged often by a lot of sand on the reef. And I think most of the informed listeners out there know that when the sand's on the reef at pipe, it can be really, really dangerous. It can close out and it doesn't have quite the same, you know, consistency that you'd like to see when there's less sand on the reef. You've been here for, as you pointed out, a, a little bit of time and you've spent some time out there. How How is that situation sitting for you ahead of the event? Do you feel like the sand's cleared off the reef? Do you feel like we're in good shape looking at the forecast ahead? Um, yeah, it's been insane. There's been so much west swells like the last week and um, there's literally no sand right now on the beach. You go down and it's like, uh, it's actually like all rocks almost. Mm. So, um, it's uh it's really good all the sand's kind of washed out and the forecast is it's kind of looking a bit iffy it's been changing every day with the wind and stuff but it looks like there's going to be waves and um still some west swell so should be good it's kind of just play it by ear and um it changes so much over here just wake up and see but yeah it's exciting and i think this time of year is way better i mean i was here in december and hmm. there wasn't much pipe swells there's one or two and there's a ton of sand on the reef um so yeah, I'm excited. It's kind of crazy to kick it off first event here. And normally people are waiting. They surf all year on the tour and then this is the last stop. So it's pretty cool that right out of the gates, it's straight in the pipe. And, it, and we're back to back, right? We've got pipe is the first event. And then we've got the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach, um, which is just up the road. In advance of the start of the season, you know, have you spent any time up at sunset? Are there days where you're like, it's good for me to go out there and get some reps, even though that's the second event? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say a lot of my focus is actually on sunset as well, just because that 
wave is a lot bigger playing field and there's Mm -hmm. a lot more lineups. Um, It seems a bit trickier in a sense, especially on the backside. So I've actually said, uh, I've, I'd actually say I spent most of my time at sunset, especially before the before the new year, um, when all those swells were super north. I, I was just surfing out there almost every day, and then even even over here, if pipe's not really good, I'll be out at sunset, mm. just practicing, trying boards. So it's kind of playing it both ways, back and forth, and spending time equally at both. But um, sunset's definitely been a priority if pipe's not firing. So. Right. You mentioned uh, your coach, Luke, is over here now. Is that Luke Egan? Yeah, been working with Luke Egan. Um, just met him over here about a week ago. So, But we've been talking for almost six months now. It, it, he's amazing. Um, and I had the good fortune yeah. of, of getting to work on tour when he was still competing on tour himself. He does tend to gravitate towards like powerful goofy footers i think you know he was in caroline's corner last year when she won the world title and you yourself um have a a style and approach and a ton of strengths that really probably mirror luke's um in a lot of ways as well have you guys openly talked about that at all i mean in deciding to work with a particular coach does it give you a lot of confidence as an athlete being like wow, you know, maybe he said, I can see some of my own surfing in your own, or even in your head, you're like, I'd love to surf like him and compete like him. This makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I know. It's, it's been awesome. We've, um, we've had some good talks and, uh, I've had a lot of respect for him, you know, because he is a big goofy and he was on the tour for a long time and he's done like the stuff that I want to do. So I have a lot of respect for him and it's pretty cool. We have the same styles. He actually reached out to me earlier in the year and um wanted to work with me so it was super cool um then we've been building the relationship a lot but it's rad i was at dinner with him the other night for his birthday and it was me him and caroline and it's like a big uh team goofy so it's pretty (laughs) rad and well i guess uh on the road it's it'll be fun because we'll all want to go left the whole time (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I i think you're probably right let's talk about um surfboards um yeah. You are one of the uh, the many surfers on tour who ride for Lost Surfboards um, with Matt Biolis. Um, Matt's been on the podcast before. He was a big feature on the podcast last year because we had our inaugural Vistla CT Shaper rankings, which um, Lost Surfboards won, which is very, very cool. Yeah. And all those programs that, that have success at the elite level it does seem like they're always running on two tracks. They're always trying to develop the very best surfboards for the very best surfers competing for world titles. They're also consistently building that next wave of talent coming up through the system. And Matt has identified you uh, openly a few times as someone who's going to be, you know, carrying the torch for that program moving into the CT. It must give you a lot of confidence being able to work on on such proven equipment and having had such a, a long-standing relationship with Matt. Matt's, uh, I don't know how he keeps track of it all. Honestly, there's <laughs> at least, what, 15 surfers on the tour and he's making boards for all of us and half the QS. So, I mean, but that's some goes to say it's like he's definitely shaping some of the best boards in the world and it's uh it's been a really unique relationship because uh i grew up in san clemente but i didn't really start riding mat sports until i was 18. Mm. so it was kind of later on in my amateur career i started riding his boards um 
What was the and reason I, for the switch? I'm just curious. Like, what was what were the conditions around? All right, I'm going to start riding for for Matt now. Um. Yeah, there's a bit of there's a lot of things going on. I grew up uh I grew up riding cold surfboards yep. in town, and he's a legend. Um, and then when I was about twelve, I I switched over to Hayden Shapes because uh, Visla had a really cool connection with him uh, with their program, and that connection grew, and I started riding his boards. And then about eighteen Griffin or seventeen eighteen Griffin was like, "Hey, you gotta try some Mayhem's. Like, I want to take you in and sit down with Matt." Because at that stage, like, I mean, Matt still told me he's like, I mean, I was like kind of not a nobody, but I was just like a kid from San Clemente, you know, and there's a lot of them so, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of them. And I just looked like probably this other kid to Matt. So, um, but Griffin brought me in and sat me down and ordered some boards and kind of right out of the gates there, you could tell a difference. And just like those boards were built for competing and high performance surfing and um, just being in San Clemente, like Matt's shape boards for, you know, everyone when they come to the CT and down at lowers. So, um, instantly I felt the boards were magic and kind of from there, I slowly built the relationship with Matt, you know, right away. It's like, it's hard. You think he doesn't like you and he's cause he's super like uh, short sometimes and like, uh, but no, I love Matt. He's been like the best part of this whole thing really with the boards and equipment and their whole team supporting everyone so it's been super cool that's awesome what is the uh what's the quiver count for you in hawaii at the moment uh, i think i have like 16 or 17 boards here and they've all survived uh, so far you haven't had any casualties so far it's been a couple like minor little like cracks and dings but um all survive which is crazy so i, I have three board bags over here and somehow got to get them all back or i might be leaving them here <laughs> All right on. We're going to take a uh, quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. All right, we are back. This is the lineup. I am Dave Prodan here with 2024 CT rookie Cole Hauschman. Cole, we mentioned it in the upfront. You, you are basically the tip of the spear for this next generation of San Clemente talent, having won the Challenger Series last year, coming in as the number one ranked rookie this year. But but give us some background. Did you were you born and raised in San Clemente? What what was early family life like? What did mom and dad do? Brothers, sisters? How did how did you become you? And 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 how long have you been a part of the San Clemente community? Um yeah, it's kind of a crazy story because um I came from a family who had no idea what surfing was and barely went to the beach. My uh my dad was born in Iran actually and his whole family moved out here when he was like eight or nine years old. Um, then, he, you know, I went to college, played soccer, uh, met my mom, and they were living in Newport and kind of wanted to get out of that scene and stumbled upon San Clemente just kind of by luck, you know, the farther south they went. And, yeah, I kind of just ended up there and had some – they had some friends who just kind of started going to the beach on the weekends. And – with uh with their kids as well and i was just like dad i want to surf like them i want to start surfing so kind of just started out started out as like a weekend fun thing go to the beach with uh our friends and jump in the water and that was like i was about four or five years old and from there it kind of slowly took off into like oh like you can do contests like this is cool like we'll sign you up for a few like there's like the ocean fest in san clemente and it was um sign me up for that and it was funny like my first comp there's like six people in the heat it was like pushing and I thought like the placings there was just one heat and the placings went off like I thought like last like six was like first because I was like the right. most points right yeah. I was like, yeah, that's it's a bigger number yeah and then I, <laughs> right. I think I got like fourth or fifth I was like oh I didn't get last or like or I, I almost won or like it was just funny we, like we had no idea and um yeah from there just kind of like met some friends met the call pintos and like all my lifelong friends pretty much from the start and slowly grew up and somehow ended up in this san clemente storm or whatever you want to call it <laughs> that was the san clemente cyclone i think people were pushing for a little bit but uh, it's interesting too you know uh, like we do talk to quite a lot of surfers that make it to the various highest levels of competition and for a lot of them, they didn't come from surfing families. For sure, you yeah. get the other ones that are like, oh, yeah, I'm third generation. My dad was on tour, et cetera. I was destined for this. But, you know, for for a, an individual like yourself who came from a family that didn't have a huge background in surfing, and, you know, you're a pretty athletically built dude as well. You mentioned your parents played soccer. Were there other sports that you were interested in when you were younger, or was it just surfing from the jump? Um, no, I pretty much grew up playing like every every sport um played baseball soccer um some football and kind of I skated tried it all you know and um it really came down to like surfing soccer and baseball and I still at a super young age um 
And I talk about baseball a lot, but I kind of took the soccer thing even a bit farther mm. as into like, I mean, I'm talking like 12, 13 years old. Sure. But that was already at the point of like, hey, it's like I'm traveling. I'm starting to travel for both these sports. I kind of had to like pick one. Yeah. And um, I just went with the one I loved more, which was surfing. You know, when you're that age, you don't follow money or anything. You just want to do what's fun. And um, surfing was fun. And so I picked that over soccer. And yeah, it's kind of been that's kind of been my life since I was like probably 13 or so. Um, What position did you play in soccer? I was midfield, like center mid and left wing. Um, but yeah, it was fun. I uh, I was torn. Like I didn't know really. There's times where I was like, I just want to play soccer. And then there's times where I was like, I don't like soccer. I just want to surf, you know. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's fun. I think a lot of that growing up playing all those sports kind of like helped me now with my size and kind of. You know, I didn't go through the super wonky phase. I kind of kept up with myself and right. um, kind of feel like I'm built pretty good. And that I feel like the athleticism has to do with a lot of those sports growing up. Totally. And it's interesting, too. I mean, we're not the only ones talking about this. This has sort of been out in the ether for a while. But I mean, in the 80s and 90s, there weren't a lot of, you know, bigger sized you know, more weight, more height surfers at the elite level. And a lot of that was due to equipment. A lot of that was due to wave riding approach. A lot of that was due to the waves that were being ridden on tour. And probably, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, we saw a real jump with your Jordy Smiths and your Owen Wrights and your Dane Reynolds and your John John Florences. Um, not to say any of them are giant, but you're starting to get into the spaces where it's, you know, six foot plus, like 175 pounds plus, um, and the equipment's gotten so good and the technique's gotten so good. And I think surfers and at this level paying attention to their flexibility and their core strength, et cetera, has really made, you know, being a bigger physique surfer, not a disadvantage like it was maybe 20 years ago, but like a huge advantage almost in every condition. And it feels like you're the continuation of that in a way, not that you can pick, you know, what size you are or anything, but it feels like you're well suited for this time in surfing. And it feels like you're not going to have a disadvantage depending on what wave it's at or what the conditions are. Yeah, it's, it's a trip for sure. Cause back in the day, you know, the smaller, the better almost. And, and the tall guys on tour were like not even six feet. And now you're seeing like six, two, six, three, like myself and, um, and bigger guys, like I'm, I'm six, three, I'm two twenty. Okay. Um, but yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the training aspect. You know, a lot mm. of people, I think dissed it, like they didn't like it in the past, but I mean, guys like myself, like I trained super hard out of the water and I think that's why I'm able to be my size and still be agile and, you know, get low, um, and compete at the level. And, you know, it's, um, I think everyone's kind of doing that. So the bigger surfers, I feel like they definitely have an advantage now, um, especially on tour, you know, look at the first five stops, it's pipe, sunset, bells, Margaret's and Portugal. It's like, it's not a bad thing to be a big, heavy, heavy footed surfer. Um, so yeah, it's exciting and it's it's kind of cool to be at the front of that kind of face of big surfers. Like WSL Brazil just posted this thing and it was like Cole and Cade just knocked Jordy Smith off the biggest guy on tour or something. 
And it was pretty funny because like it's stuff you don't even really think about. And then you look at it and you're like, wow, like there's a lot of big guys on tour now. You're totally right though. Cause I, when I grew up, I worked at the Rip Curl Surf Center in San Clemente um, in high school and college. And when the Trestle CT event would come every September, most of the, it was a men's event at the time. Most of the men on tour would get their quivers dropped off. So we'd get, you know, Nathan Hedge and Bruce Irons and Mick Fanning. Everyone would be coming through the shop because it was the one closest to Trestle's. And they'd be like, yeah, I've got, you know, 12 chilies or whatever here. And uh, Andy was my favorite surfer, like of all time, like was, I was like full Andy pilled the whole time, like loved his surfing, still do. And I say that because he came in and asked for a leash one day and I didn't even recognize him because he seemed so much taller than everyone else. And he was yeah. only, you know, six foot 180 or whatever it was. Like he wasn't even as big as sort of the bigger guys on tour now, but at the time he seemed like a giant to the point where I'm like, that can't be him. Like everyone else is Crazy. so much smaller. Yeah. The, um, you know, and I, I do think that applies to your coach, Luke, as well. I'm sure he'd have some stories yeah. of when he was coming up being like, holy crap, I wish, you know, I knew now, I knew then what I know now about approach and stuff. It would have been different. But let's talk about your Challenger Series season last year. Um, you know, San Clemente, it has for decades been a hot spot for talent. It's got great waves. It's got pretty significant industry support. It has generations of multi-talented surfers. You mentioned it earlier about the San Clemente Cyclone, but, but that or whether the 2% crew or whatever we're calling it has really been a response to the Brazilian storm of the last decade or so. Um, and for a period of time, you know, surfers from California, surfers from Southern California were not having the same level of success that they had in the decades prior. And there were, there were new hotspots of talent coming onto the tour. The motivation felt different and they were really having a ton of success. It really feels like San Clemente in the last 18, 24 months, there is a very tight unit of talent, both men and women at every level of the sport, whether it's the regional qualifying series, the challenger series, the CT, and that tight unit of support feels like it's lending itself to a lot of success. Is that fair from your perspective? Does it feel coordinated a little bit on the San Clemente side? And and did that, if so, did 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 you enjoy that last year on the Challenger Series, I guess is the question. Um, yeah, I think 100% it's correlated. Um, I mean, at least for myself, the years prior, it was kind of like we were all best friends, but in a way everyone was kind of on their own program and on schedule. Sometimes you'd stay together, sometimes you know, you're staying with different people. And um, I think everyone kind of had a bit of a shocker the year prior. Mm. Um, and then I don't even know like, kind of where to start, but Kolohe kind of got everyone together. And um, I mean, kind of started like the whole 2% production stuff. And that's when we're like, okay, well, if we're going to do this, let's all travel together and film, you know, the events and just kind of make content and have some fun. So once we kind of all agreed on that, we just started traveling together as a group and that started off on the regionals and then right away jet won Cocoa beach. And then I won Dominican Republic, which was my first event win in seven years, I think. And then Crosby won Barbados right after that. And then came home to Jack's pro at HB. I got second again. So it just seemed like, everyone was just coming together and almost not like 
we were just like, I don't even know how to explain it. We were just having so much fun. Um, everyone was pushing each other, working hard, and kind of just had like this lighthearted feel, fun vibe to like every event. And I think we just took that onto the challengers and it kind of steamrolled from there. Um, but yeah, I can go more in depth about it. But yeah, the San Clemente's, like uh, everyone coming together was 100% the reason I think to all our success and all the support we had from one another. So I'm glad you called out Kolohe there as well, because, you know, I think he's such an important figure, not even just to San Clemente surfing, but to global surfing as well. He obviously was in the spotlight from the time he was eight. Um, you know, qualified very young, had a ton of success. And he and I, I think we talked about it when, when we had our episode on the lineup and we've certainly talked about it since, but we talked about that year he qualified and how, you know, the hype machine around him was so loud, you know, whether it was Nike or a number of his other sponsors, like all the marketing about brother when he was qualifying was essentially setting the expectation of, He's going to win the world title as a rookie. Like this is a paradigm shifting surfer. We all know it. He's finally on tour and he's going to do huge damage. And he had, I would call objectively a very successful rookie year. He you know, made the quarterfinals a few times, which is a huge advantage if you are a rookie, like especially a young rookie like him. But because the market had this like world title expectation of him, I don't think they treated him very fairly because everything that was short of that, they were like, you failed. And, and, yeah. you know, he's talked pretty openly about it. I'm curious when he was organizing this next generation of talent, he's lent so much of his time and energy to supporting his community, which is awesome. If he's had any of those conversations with you guys in terms of, you know, this is how you should approach the mental aspect of the sport. This is how you should approach you know, your preparation for events. This is the whole motivation part that you could argue is maybe um, missing from a lot of North American surfers over that period of time, just in terms of getting those results. Did you guys ever have any of those conversations? I'm, I'm just curious. Um, yeah, it wasn't like more so like super forward or in depth. It was almost, he kind of was just showing us in a way and then it would come across like, he would kind of like portray like what to do and we kind of mm. just would look to him as like almost like the father figure and then he would kind of like help us out or give us pointers but um yeah I mean he probably had one I mean he had a super successful career on tour you know I don't know how many years but and he finished top five a handful of times and so I mean and the adversity he had to like go through with being like like hot talent Mm. at the peak of the surf industry too, making all that money and then go on to the tour and you finish, you requalify your first year and you are still getting like, um, people kind of talking right. crap on you. So it's like, uh, he definitely had to go through like the mental battles, the ups and downs. And I think more so than anything now, he's kind of been showing us like how to come together as like a community and a group and also in a way give back and kind of show like, Hey, competing is like not your whole life. It's mm -hmm. kind of like your legacy lives on past competing and what you do to kind of grow the youth and the community and give back. So more in that sense, he's kind of been showing us like, um, you know, an example of like what we want to be like when we're older, maybe. Um, and then on the other end of that, we've kind of looked or myself, I've looked to Griffin a lot 
more mm-hmm. on the mental side because he's super into like the journaling meditation um and so yeah it's pretty cool to um kind of get both their takes you know brothers like really informative on the competing side of stuff and also like community giving back and then griffin's really good with the mentals and competing and mindset and so it's been cool to kind of have both their takes on it and i mean they're really like grooming us and helping us so that when we get to the stage it's we have somewhat of an idea of what to do that's awesome. And and it's cool to hear that insight from you as well, because I'd imagine too, having, you know, worked on tour basically through, through brothers entire tenure so far on the CT every now and then he and I exchange yeah. text messages and I'm like, you're in your physical prime. Like we're ready for you to come back. <laughs> like we you know, there's more left in the basement or whatever I'm texting him. Yeah. But, um, but I would imagine too that when, because he was such a forerunner for his own generation and he was such, he had such a meteoric rise through surfing and was so talented, when he got onto the tour, I'm sure he was exposed to that community organization, whether it was the Australians or the Brazilians. And to a degree, probably felt like, man, that's what we're missing. And it's very, very cool that he's taken that lesson and applied it to, you know, this generation coming up of which you're a major part of let's talk about the challenger series from last year um you mentioned that regional qualifying series getting your first win in seven years you came onto the cs this last year and had a ton of success pretty early on can can you walk us through those first few events you know snapper rocks narabeen Bolito, etc yeah it was crazy um i mean starting off in the regionals i I got that feeling of winning kind of that I was missing for so long, you know, seven years plus. And, um, I think once I got a taste of that, I was like, okay, like, here we go again. We can, we can do this. You know, it's not so far fetched. Um, and then you go to the challenger series and it's a whole nother level still, you know, the top 80 guys in the world, plus some of the CT. Um, but yeah, I definitely carried a lot of confidence over in Australia and, you're thinking snapper you're like all right this wave's a ct it's an insane right you're like i should win this event more than any other event on tour and then i went into snapper and i actually had like the worst heat of my life like biggest shocker ever i had kolohe in the heat and it was just like a free-for-all and i ended up like having priority and burning him halfway down the wave (laughs) and like i kind of blew the wave and he could have got like an eight and then we both lost the heat and i was like i like got out of the water that he went straight to my hotel room. I sat down. I was like, what the heck is going on with myself? Like I just came with all this confidence, all this preparation, just got a coach. Like, um, like I should, like, I should not be having the shocker right now. And then kind of just sat down with myself and wrote down all my mistakes and wrote down how I was feeling and kind of just got everything that was in my head, like messing with me onto a piece of paper and just, kind of let it be, forgot about it, moved on, was able to watch Jet and Crosby uh, go all the way to a third place in that event. So it was super cool to kind of like be in the corner with them. And like, I mean, when you're like supporting someone do well in a contest, you're kind of like, it feels like you're doing good as well. So they kind of get that like successful feeling. Anyway, fast forward, get to Narabeen, um, right out of the get go, I was like having really good surfs and having a good time uh day before the comp i was trunking it and the water was like freezing and i had a really <laughs> bad back spasm like crazy i couldn't even 
get out of bed or into bed. Like couldn't could barely walk. I looked like a like a eighty five year old grandpa. And I was like, oh no, like this is like terrible. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to surf my heat. It was that bad. I couldn't sleep at night. And the crazy thing was is I had so much thought about my back that it almost took the pressure of right. <laughs> like the pressure you put on yourself to even get a result out of the picture. So it was like I was just like, hey, if I can surf, I'll be happy. And somehow like the first heat or two, I was still in a lot of pain. But I was just making the heats and I was getting worked on. Um and then once I like got into the man on man, that's when I kind of told myself, I was like, all right, this is like the new, the new event starts when it gets to man on man, like the four man heats are, it's like own separate comp and then man on man. You're like, all right, well, this is where kind of like make or break. You're like, get a result or you don't. And by then my back was like, I was just popping Advil's and my back was like, fine. <laughs> I just had so much adrenaline and um, I'd never made it past a ninth place finish on the challengers. So once I made that quarters, I was like, oh, it's on. Like I could I could keep going. And um, the quarters were kind of like in like grindy conditions and they almost ran the finals there, semis, when it was still like really small rights, uh, pretty bad waves. And luckily <laughs> that I had my jersey on and Travis called me. He was like, hey, we're going to call it off. And I was like, all right, I ripped the thing off. The next day was supposed to be bombing, like huge. Then wake up in the morning and, everyone was kind of hesitant, like not sure if they're going to run. It was pretty big and like, like, uh, just washy. It was like, it was huge. And I was like, dude, these are my conditions, like a big stormy left. And I was psyching. I piled out right away, free surfed. And I was like telling them, I was like, we got to run. We got to run. And I just had that feeling, you know, like when you wake up and you're like, Oh, these are, this is my day. These are my conditions. And like not being cocky or anything, which I felt good. And, ready to go and they called it on and made the final and just kind of I don't know if I had all the good juju but <laughs> had one of the best heats of my life and um yeah I don't think I would have pictured it any better way for me to win my uh my first challenger so the the injury thing you talk about it, it's interesting right because what's the the saying it's like beware the wounded animal and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that in surfing just because there's so much noise, right? There's so many variables. It's the yeah. most dynamic field to play in all the sports. And as you said, you could be as fit as possible, have the best boards, be you know the most talented surfer, and you get out there. And if you're out of rhythm, like things can just go haywire. And I think more often than not, like you you hear about injured surfers and you almost want to write them off. But as you pointed out, a, a lot of times it's a, almost meditative when you're hurt and that's all you're thinking about and all that noise yeah. gets quieted and you're like, I'm just going to focus on doing, getting the next wave, doing the next turn and making sure that I can get through this injury. And I think, I think that bodes well for performance a lot of times too, right? Because you've cleared your head of almost everything else. Yeah, no, it's crazy. I think, I mean, I think that was a big part of it. It was almost like a blessing in disguise. Um, just because like what you said, you're like, you go from having all this noise in your head and expectation and pressure and then you kind of have an injury and you're like, well, I don't even know if I'm going to compete now. So all that other right. stuff goes out the window and you're like, hey, if I can just one heat, just surf my heat, then I'll be happy. And it, uh, 
yeah, blessing in disguise, I think, and it worked out for me. But that was like the best event of my life, and then kind of steamrolled from there and into Bolito. But uh, and that in itself was a crazy event. So sure, yeah. Not that we're advocating for anyone out there that's not injured to be like, maybe I should <laughs> injure myself before this event. But I think it's 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 worth talking about. I will say too, I. Um, the your final in there being provided my my boat trip we were on a boat trip for my 40th <laughs> that was the only day we had the internet and we were all like oh my no god way. like so we were all excited to watch and yeah it was we were cheering on loudly from uh from the mental wise there for sure but you mentioned oh, you going guys. oh yeah big time you mentioned going back to back there you go into Belito, which it's you know other side of the world. Um, you know you, you've had this major win at Narrabeen. You're now in South Africa. You put up another win. At this point, you're so far out in front on the Challenger Series rankings. I don't think it was confirmed until a little bit later in the season. But does your approach do? do, do I guess psychologically, do things start changing for you at that point where you're like, oh, wow, like it's it's mine to lose now. And I went into the season hoping for the best. And now I'm in the driver's seat. Like, did your approach to events change? Did your conversations with your sponsors change? Did your, you know, personal kind of life change when you're going, man, I might be on the CT in 2024? Yeah, it's it was crazy. It all it all seemed to happen so quick, too. Um, but even going back into Bolito, it's like, I went, you would think going into that event, I'd have all the confidence in the world, but it was almost flip-flopped because the whole time you're telling yourself, you're like, well, I don't want to be the guy that won a challenger and didn't qualify. You're like, I still got work to do. I still got to make heat. So I almost felt the most pressure was going into Bolito. And that first heat, I had like the shakiest legs ever. Like couldn't feel my board. It was like it was crazy. I squeaked through the first heat, and it was kind of like just this weight off the shoulder. And I was like, okay, like it's good. I made a heat. Like, all right, we can go from here. But um, it was pretty rad. Even after every heat win in Bolito, I had people come up to me like, oh, congrats on qualifying. I was still like only in round two or three. <laughs> right, it's like, like it's a not, jinx at it's that not point. Done yeah, yet. Right. yeah, yeah. Um, and honestly, I was going into Bolito just wanting to make a few heats and just not be the guy who won a comp and couldn't back it up i was like yeah. i just want to make a few heats and i think after i made like the i think it was like the round of 16 i was like okay well pressure's kind of off now i can just try to go get a result and just got the good juju going again and um kind of steamrolled into the final i had a few close heats um but served some really smart heats and took it out in the end and that was insane. But like you said, after that event, it was pretty much like a guarantee. Like even, I mean, I knew it was a guarantee. Everyone was telling me it was a guarantee, but there's always like a small part of you that's like, well, what if everyone gets like 20,000 points this year and the cut's super high? You right, know? yeah, right, yeah. You're like, you're like, I don't know. Or what if like I do something silly and they like take away points? Like I don't, I was just like, until they announced it, I was like trying to tell myself, I was like, it's not over yet because mm-hmm. I just, you never know like right. what happens and I'm super optimistic. So I was like, I was just kind of like cruising, but um, it was weird. It's like you went to events, you know, you're pretty much on tour and you still have eight months until the first event and the rest of the season of the challenges. And you're like, in a way it's so easy to like take your foot off the gas 
right. and just cruise and be like, well, it doesn't matter if I lose first heat, like I'm on tour, like all good. And I think I did feel like a little bit of that hmm. as much as I tried not to. It's like, it's just like subconsciously you're like, well, I'm pretty much on tour. I'm going to finish top three, no matter what in the challengers. Right. This was after bleed Yeah. Um, yeah. And you're just kind of like, well, like what now? Like, and in a way, I think I subconsciously like took my foot off the gas. Um, looking back, I'm like, well, why didn't I try to win three events or four events? You know, when in the moment I was like, okay, like I'm cruising. So, I mean, I think that happened. And I think I learned a lot from that in a way too. even fast forwarding, like we can go back, but fast forwarding to Brazil Mm-hmm. I had a heat where I was kind of just like, I just went to Brazil to kind of support the boys and cruise in a way. And I'd already won the challenger series. So I like, that was like a big one. I was like, well, I won the series. No one's going to pass me. Yeah. Like Brazil's like, I'm just here to support the boys. And you know, if I have a heat with them, like, I don't know, see how it goes and, or take some guys out. And I kind of like went into it pretty relaxed and I lost second heat um, and a heat that was super close with some mixed opinions. And that kind of just like kicked me in the butt. And I was like, why am I just like over here if I'm not going to give it my all? Mm-hmm. And every time I put on the jersey, you should just be going for it, whether it's wanting to win, win an event or show something crazy. And um, yeah, I lost in Brazil feeling like I could have done more. And it was almost a good thing because that was the last event of the year. So now it kind of fired me up again to be like, hey, you know, no matter if you're number one in the world or, or fighting to requalify, it's like every time you put on that jersey, it's something to show and something to go after. It's a title. So um, yeah. I learned a lot this year and it was pretty cool because you go on such a high from winning comps. And then all, whenever that adrenaline kind of like washes off, you're like almost go to a low because you're like, I had so much like good feeling, good energy. I was doing so well and it's like back to normal life. And you're like, well, what's going on now? It's like putting on the jersey again. So um, I learned a lot and I I had a lot of fun. So Awesome. We're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the lineup. I'm Dave Prodan here with San Clemente's Cole Hauschmand. You were listening to this and the opening event of the 2024 WSL Championship Tour season, the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti, has already commenced its window. These heats may be in the water. And in that last segment, Cole, we talked about that motivation and, and, and you know swings and roundabouts and things that go up and things that go down. And you were talking about how heading into Bolito after winning there, being on the Challenger Series, was the most nervous you'd felt in quite a long time. And it reminded me similarly, you know, Andy said this, you know, years ago before he passed and he said something about winning world titles. And he said, everyone in the world wants you to win your first world title because you're the underdog. And he goes, everyone, he goes, your competitors, you know, your sponsors, people at home, et cetera. He goes, the second you win, you have a target on your back. And he goes, yeah, you're still going to have your support, but now you're the target. So people want to take you down. And it sounds like there was an element of that when you're heading into Bolito where you're like, I don't want to go from winning to getting knocked out right away. 
everyone else on tour is looking at you as the, the qualification target at that point. But you pulled through, you won the Challenger Series, which not only is a huge accomplishment in its own right, but really helps your seeding heading into the event. There's a huge difference between coming in as the number one CS seed and the number 10 CS seed because it informs who you're going to draw amongst the world's best surfers in these events. And if we're looking at your round one heat at pipe, which again, by the time people listen to this, you may have already surfed, but you have drawn, oh, I had it a second ago. You got Ethan Ewing and Jackson Bunch in your heat. Sick. Do the, do the surfers on tour rattle you in either direction? Do you look at these heats and you go, okay, I, I should be dominant in this heat or, okay, this is going to be a challenge because this surfer is so good. Or do you just approach every heat the same where it's like, these are the world's best surfers. I have to be on my best if I want to win. I'm just focused on myself. Yeah. I think there's an element of both, you know, there's, mm. it's easy to be like, oh, this is an easy heat or, oh, this heat's stacked. And I think I've learned to just kind of have more of a neutral mindset. And the biggest thing I think I took away from last year is like, you're surfing against yourself. Like surely there's other guys in the water priority. And even that it's like, you're, you're surfing against yourself and your own ability. So if you kind of paint that picture, it kind of like eliminates the, who you're up against in a sense, because my hardest heats used to be the ones where I was like, Oh, this is an easy heat. Like, I should smoke this heat. And then mm -hmm. it kind of takes off the edge in a sense or the hunger. And then some of my best heats have been against the best guys because you know you have to perform and you're like, well, I have to drop 15 points probably to make this heat. Right. And so if anything, I just learned to kind of have a neutral mind and know that, hey, I'm surfing against myself and my own ability. So, but it's, it's exciting. It's like I now get to compete against guys who – I idolized and grew up watching and was getting autographs on at the beach when I was 10 years old. So um, in that sense, it's pretty cool. But I think if you don't believe you can't take them head on, then it's not really worth it. So I believe I, I came onto the tour at a good time where my mindset is pretty strong and knowing that, you know, given the opportunity, like I can go head to head with all these guys. Right. And you, you have had exposure to that level, right? You, you have competed as a wild card at the CT level. Yeah, I did the, um, the surf ranch, which was like, it's, uh, it's still a CT, but it's kind of a, it's a different format in playing sure. field. So, um, but a lot of guys talk like that. They say it's the most pressure they feel in any event because you're given the opportunity. Everyone has the opportunity and you get a certain amount of waves. So, it's uh, it's pretty cool. That no, was my first CT. Nowhere to hide, right? Like nowhere to like hide. Every, yeah. yeah, the waves yeah. coming. I've never been so scared to miss a wave. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, right. it's so funny. But um, yeah, I've had exposure there, and you know, triple crown back in the day, and on the Challenger Series, you're up against some of the, some of the guys on the CT. So, um, yeah, I feel pretty well prepared, and just more excited to kind of showcase. Totally, and. and you know, historically, there's been kind of, we're overgeneralizing here, but kind of two general tracks for professional surfers. There's the competitive lane, and then there's the free surfing lane. I'd argue in 2024, the most valuable surfers, they, they kind of have to do both. 
Um, yeah. And, you know, last, uh, you guys released, I think a month ago, the 2% crew released a film, uh, Smooch, which was directed by, you know, Kolohe and Jacob Vanderwerk. And uh, you had the introductory part. Can you talk to us both about, you know, participating in that film and then just your, how you balance the free surfing if you do, that is how you balance, you know, free surfing as a professional surfer versus competition surfing. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy balance. You know, it's so easy to get sucked in either direction, uh, especially when you're competing so much. It's so easy to get sucked into like the, just make your waves, get the score, like just surf safe in a sense. And like on the QS, that's pretty common. And it's easy to take that mindset and, just surf like that in your free surfs. But I think I've always had this thing of, I want people to be able to watch me free surf and enjoy that as well. And mm -hmm. be like, wow, this guy rips, not just, Oh, this guy can win heats or win comps. Like this guy has good style. He can rip. Like I want to watch him free surf. I want to watch his movies. And that's been a big inspiration for me is in to try to do both and not just get sucked totally into the competing side. And I think the mm. the people I'm surrounded by too. I mean, look at Griffin. Like, I want I want to watch Griffin free surf just as much as in a jersey, you know. And yep. even Crosby and Jet and those guys all have like the talent to like just go make movie parts and then go win a comp. And so being surrounded by that has been pretty rad. And yeah, it's a good balance because no matter what, competing or not, you want to get better at surfing mm. and free surfing is kind of where you find the love for it too. I feel like in a sense and go surf good waves. And so it's finding that balance and having fun and kind of, yeah, I don't know. I've always just wanted people to enjoy my surfing for what it is and even outside the Jersey. So for sure. And I think what I like about it just is like a surf fan in 2024. And this wasn't the case when I started, you know, you'd have, you know, the, the championship tour would be the world's best surfers. They didn't always, or, or some of them maybe never did their very best surfing on tour. You know, they would do it free surfing. Yeah. They do it in videos. And I think for a variety of factors in 2024, the surfers that succeed on the championship tour are essentially free surfing in their heats. They're doing their best surfing. And it's cool that that that's been bridged because that's the most exciting thing. And it's cool that people are encouraged to like, yeah, let it, let it all hang out, like surf as hard as you can, because if you don't, there's, you know, another 35 men in the draw that are going to. Yeah. And that's crazy. It's, um, I mean, you always say you want to surf in a Jersey, how you free surf. You're sure. like, if I just surf this heat, how I free surf, I'm going to, get tens or you know and it's so much easier said than done but you watch at that level and it's like that's what the best guys in the world are doing the philippe's griffin john gabby you know and um that's where the level's at so it's pretty cool to see like hey there's no holding back and you got to go for it and i think it's uh doing your best surfing in the heat is some of the most rewarding stuff because you know you have to go for it and it's stuff you sometimes wouldn't do in a free surf so. Right, right. Uh, a couple weeks ago on on Instagram, you you posted a journal entry dating back to uh, March of 2023, and looking back and seeing those goals checked off, which is really really cool. Um, 
are there any goals for 2024 that you're you're open to sharing with us right now or are we gonna have to wait until the end of the year um no yeah i'm super open and that's been like a big thing with griff and writing out my goals and journaling but um yeah i think i mean number one goal is i mean i kind of have them all listed out there's kind of a lot of them but it's starting out as like finals day in the ct whether that's quarters or better mm-hmm. and then kind of final on the ct and then win a ct like those are like my three stage goals and then bigger picture stuff is like obviously make the cut but i actually don't write that one down because i don't want to fixate on that right like i don't want all my attention to be on the cut you know i just want to be based on each event by itself um so i don't write that one down but yeah pretty much my main ones are final on a ct win rookie of the year um and make final five that's like top three obviously a world title is up there but i'm not gonna fixate or pressure like rookie year i mean if i'm in that position going into final five then that'll be the goal at the top of my list but until i get there it's um still writing that down every day but that one's kind of like a you know two three five year plan where this year would be insane to compete final five at lowers because you don't know how many more years they're going to have it there and in my backyard so it's a main goal and main focus awesome well, can't wait to see you uh, at this opening event and throughout the season. Before you go, we did put out a feeler for questions um, on Instagram at, at the lineup pod. We got a lot, a lot back for you. You're a popular guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. we've, we've whittled them down to three. And the first question is from at k.beachy, who asks, what is the favorite hairstyle you've had so far and i got a producer's note here for the sake of simplicity we'll let you choose between natural curls pink leopard stars or 99s for griffin um i think my favorite one would have to be the stars or the 99s for griffin because uh the stars were us open and i painted my boards with all the stars so I felt very prideful in that sense. And then um, that's, I qualified with that on, on my hair and on my board. So that one was cool. And then the 99s for Griff was like another cool one because it was super like sentimental to me. And that was such a big moment for him. And I was like, I'm going to support you. I'm writing 99s on my head. So um, those were my two favorite. Uh, If I had to pick probably the stars, but either way. I love it. Uh, second question is from at Dan JC two, six, four, who asks, should there be a formal quote challenger of the year award for finishing number one on the challenger series? I've got an answer for this, um, but you go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think there is an award. I, I got hey, an award go. ceremony. I got an award ceremony and I think like two days and I got to give a speech. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I actually like was going over to Griffin's house a lot and I would see his, uh, QS winning trophy and it's like a mini world title one. I was like, I can't wait till I have this thing. So, um, yeah, there's an award for that and I'm stoked. You know, I didn't really think about it all year, but now I'm here and it'll be fun to receive it in front of everyone. Yeah. And it's, I mean, absolutely. There should be a award. There is an award and it's a huge accomplishment. And, uh, so I'm excited for that one too. Uh, third question is from at Dave Cromo who says stoked, power surfing is back who are your inspirational power surfers of the past and present 
Wow, it's a crazy one. Um, the past, I don't know. I'd have to say Sunny was a big one. It's just raw power. Um, I mean, now I'm watching all clips of like Luke Egan. It's been pretty cool. And the Mark Acalupo. Those are like probably my three from the past. Um, and then newer, I'd say even guys like, I mean, old school Jordy was like my favorite growing up watching that just like raw power and because he was such a big guy. Uh, and even like John John now, like his surfing at Margaret River is like ingrained in my brain of like, that's how you want to surf. And yeah. um, he's not the biggest guy, but I mean, he's super powerful and so yeah I kind of draw a lot of inspiration from everyone and it's hard to pinpoint one person and I kind of just just do my own deal and see how it goes but yeah it's exciting it's a good answer the John John one at Margaret River I'm glad you brought that up that came up at dinner last night and someone made the comment they said yeah John John's one of the most universally respected surfers on the planet right now and they said the two primary waves that people think of with him are obviously pipe where he grew yeah. up and they go number two is Margaret river. Yeah, it's and they crazy. Go, it's not just Margaret river. It's Margaret river when he was in a Jersey and they go, that's yeah. a big deal. Like that, that kind of surfing went down at an event. And I said, that's a great point. Yeah. It's insane. It's uh, super cool. Yeah. Well, thanks to everyone who wrote in at the lineup pod on Instagram. We're now down to our final segment. It's time for the lightning round. So we have 10 questions for you to answer as quickly as you can. Oh no. All right. <laughs> if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad bonzer, or finless, which would you choose? Uh, simple, but thruster. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee all day. I'll probably have a cup after this. <laughs> Burrito or pizza? Burrito. Last book you read? Uh, the Power of Positive Thinking. Best surf film ever? Modern Collective. Mm. Uh, what is one wave you never have to go back to? Virginia Beach. <laughs> if you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life, you can dreamcast it, perfect conditions, just your friends, etc., whatever, what would it be? Um uh, macaroni's Indonesia. Best person to share a lineup with. Uh my dad. Worst person to share a lineup with. Um not going to answer that one because I don't want any beef. <laughs> but there is an answer, so I do appreciate There's that you have someone. Fair enough. Uh, last one. Finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by... Today. Oh, by doing what? Well, I don't know. I'll achieve a state of happiness by waking up each day, surfing and being at the highest level. So I'm trying to be happy every day, all day. Good man. Cole Hausman, thank you so much for coming on the lineup. Congrats on an awesome career so far and best of luck this year. Can't wait to see you take it to the world's best here on the championship tour. Thanks for having me, Dave. I appreciate it. And I'll uh, see you guys soon. So that's it. That's the lineups conversation with San Clemente's Cole Hausman. I hope you enjoyed it. 
Cole kicks off his rookie CT campaign this week at stop number one, the Lexus Pipe Pro presented by Yeti, which will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is executive produced by Jed Pearson, Tim Greenberg, and myself, produced by Miguel Clemente, with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges it is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the native Hawaiian people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.